Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to another edition of Turn Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, an icon, a legit Canadian music icon, Biff Naked is on the show. Uh, I'm, I'm, I was starstruck when she agreed to be on the show. Starstruck when she came over to do the show. Starstruck now telling you that she's on the show. She is a an amazing person. More on that in one second. But first, if you would like to get in touch with me, you can head over to the email address, turnoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com, and send an email. You can also find us on the Facebook, the Facebook as the kids call it these days, at facebook.com slash turnoutapunk. Both of those are answered by my brother, and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, as illustrated by the fact that Biff Naked is on the show today. Tristan Abraham. Tristan busts his butt for this podcast for nothing. For nothing. He does it for the love of the game. The love of the game. And for that, we love him immensely. I also love him because he's my brother, but I mean, like, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a whole melange of reasons why I love him. But, you know. The podcast is definitely in there. Thank you, Tristan, for all of that. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on various forms of social media at left for damien If you'd like to support the show, the best way to support the show is by telling all your friends, letting everyone know that you enjoy this podcast. And then that's how we spread the word that way. And, and speaking of support, this show would not be possible without the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans who came on board a couple years ago and said, Damien, don't lose money on this podcast anymore. Just just do what you do and, and let us help you. And, and that's what I'm doing. You know, they let me book whoever I want. So one week it could be someone from L7. One week it could be Biff Naked. The next week, who knows? We make up our own rules here and Vans is very accommodating with that. So I got to say thank you so much to Vans. And also right now, I'm, I'm like flying all over the place working on a really cool turned out a punk project uh that vans is helping me do and uh, more information on that in the coming weeks but yeah vans thank you <laughs> what, am I, what else am i gonna say thank you so much for for doing this for for so long you know hopefully 
stay around forever, but I appreciate that you're here. That's amazing. This has been awesome. Uh, that's it for, uh, I think that stuff. Um, also shout out to all the people, uh, helping with the turn out punk Patreon and, uh, shout out to all the people supporting this podcast by, by spreading the word and, and giving me positive feedback. And I appreciate all that. Thank you. Thank you so much because I get to do things like this, this week on the show, we have Biff, or, or this episode on the show, we have Biff Naked. Biff Naked is a Canadian music icon. I first became aware of her when my daddy's getting married, came out and kind of started making noise in Canadian music as a young person. I fucking loved that video and that song. And Biff kept putting out classic songs. Like she is someone who is 100% a first ballot Canadian music hall of famer. But, you know, to just acknowledge all her pop career, that would be enough. But then we also have this incredible punk rock career before all that. And that's what we're going to be focused on today on the show. Biff Naked is a Canadian pop rock icon, but someone that has always repped punk and har- hardcore. Someone that X'd up. You know, I remember seeing her on Much Music X'd up. And this is before Avril Lavigne X'd up, before CM Punk was on TV X'd up. Like, this was... This was shocking for me as a young straight edge person to see. And then finding out later on about Gorilla Gorilla and the incredible uh, musical explosion that kind of occurs out of that band in the wake of their their breaking up is amazing. We get into all that in the, in the show. It's, oh, well, I'm excited for this one. It's, it's a brief one, but trust me, it's jam-packed. It is jam-packed with goodness. So I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Here is Biff Naked. On Turned Out a Punk. Well, this is awesome to finally get to talk to you. Thank you. It's awesome for me. I'm in like the sanctuary of a home. (laughs) You're in my house. Oh my God. I think this is so cool. Uh, My wife, uh, Lauren, who you met downstairs, was beside herself. Like, was just. As am I. I'm, well. I mean, I I basically French kissed your dog. like 20 minutes. I intend to do it again. Well, you are a as much of an icon as I've ever had on this show. So oh, very cool. It's it's awesome to get to. Well, and I've wanted to, I think I remember uh, around the time of my daddy's getting married, you were on the new music. Around the video shoot you were sure. talking about. Or maybe it was just after that because you were talking about the video shoot and having to take a cab home covered in cake. Oh, and, yes. And oh, yes. <laughs> I remember that, too, because there were two versions of the video. Um, you know, in, in the early days of video making, man, I'm so happy that I was able to make so many videos. And yeah. I, I look back now, it was like, you know, it was serendipity. Yeah. You know, it really was. Even though now it's kind of easier because people literally can make great content on their phones mm-hmm. and back then we had to rely on like huge crews and you know real cameras um but man it was just like yeah it was so much fun to do all those videos well i think even in that interview maybe you talked about gorilla gorilla or i saw the gorilla gorilla video sure so i knew there was this punk connection so i've wanted to talk to you about punk rock yeah for for over a decade now. Awesome. <laughs> over a decade awesome. Now. So Fantastic. I got to start this off the way I start them all off, okay. which is, Biff, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Yes, absolutely. It was, uh, of course, 
um, being interested in music as a kid. Never wanted to be a singer. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Never. I was uh, in ballet for 13 years. I thought I would be a choreographer until I discovered theater. And then I went into university to be a theater major. Uh, my sister was in a Motley crew, so I, I knew that. My, uh, my friends all were into Judas Priest. Then there was, uh, you know, this shift into thrash that mm -hmm. started happening uh, with Metallica. And DRI was actually the first real band that I went to uh, where I was like, this is like a, a blend uh, of music, of musical styles. I'm into this so hard. Did they play um, the Albert? Uh, no, uh, they played at this weird little... Um, uh, club like a community center in St. Boniface. Oh wow! Yeah, it was really weird shows like 1987 or 1988, and uh, from that point, I had met a group of guys uh, and started going to see Agent Orange and started going to see all the bands at the Wellington and the Royal Albert, and then they asked me if I would fill in for their singer. Now, Gorilla Gorilla wasn't per se, they definitely were not a hardcore band in any way, although that we loved, you know, all types of music. It was kind of like skate skateboarders yeah. that made punk music. It kind of reminds me of the big boys a little bit. Like, it definitely has that kind of, like, funky... Yeah, yeah, there was definitely the punk funk, you know, because they were really into, like... Chili Peppers, Jungle Brothers, Grandmaster Flash, yeah. just equally as they were into Dead Kennedys, mm -hmm. Euthanasia, all these, uh, all these things. It was great. It was a, a wonderful introduction into being in a band for me because I think that punk rock, uh, the 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 work ethic that is necessary uh, back in the late '80s and early '90s to be in a punk rock band probably is still true today. Mm -hmm. You have to, you know, behave like an adult. At all times, you can't get bus fever or van fever too frequently, mm -hmm. and uh, and you have to sleep alongside you know your your band brothers in a sleeping bag and sat be satisfied getting paid in Mickey's Big Mouth, and somehow <laughs> still get to the next gig and put on a, a killer show the next day too. Yeah, it's just it's not for everyone. No, it is definitely a, a kind of grinding, especially I think even then because it, it it's. You know, you didn't have the benefit of necessarily knowing, as we were talking about, walking what you were walking into. Oh, most definitely. And even when you would mail in advance, you could mail your handbills to to the venue and hope some idiot put them up for you. But it never worked out that yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and for me, as a girl, there weren't always a lot of other girls around, unless they were literally there to blow the band like literally what am i so how am i going to be perceived mm. you know so that was something i was always really trying to be conscious of and conscientious about i didn't want to uh you know dress too sexually i didn't want to give the wrong impression so i found as an overcompensator um as a, a vocalist i would totally like have this tomboy routine down you know i would have this to total shtick down we didn't have an opportunity to call out audience members that would jump on stage and, and honk our tits. Literally, that's what we call it. Like, honk, I got honk my tits. I'm going to you know, give him a knuckle sandwich. Literally, that was the response. Mm -hmm. The show kept going on. Mm -hmm. It's not like we would stop the show and go, I'm offended. It was like, this is like punk rock. Mm -hmm. There's a mosh pit, you know. Everybody hold on to your panties. This is going to, like, I mean, I don't know. It's just so funny. You know, and I look back and I'm proud of those days. I'm proud of always how Gorilla Gorilla handled themselves as a band and uh, and even moving forward, you know, the bands after that. Uh, I can't look at it as a time where uh, women, or myself even, 
uh, weren't respected uh, because I always felt like I worked extra hard, extra, extra hard to, to gain the respect of, you know, the other the other bands, particularly that we were playing with, not just my band, because it's like you it, you become siblings mm -hmm. with your band mm -hmm. people. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I really now looking back, I, I'm really happy that I had that uh, experience and that education. It's kind of fucked up that you were forced to work so hard to gain these other people's respect. You and know? you still have to be. And now as I'm older and, you know, I go into different things like, you know, it's one thing to do like book readings and stuff like that. But even me, if I want to advocate for other artists, I want to go into management. Mm -hmm. You know, I tour manage. You know, I, I love it. It's not for everyone. But I also know for sure that women need to be a part of that, you know, because it's my nature to be a mom. Mm -hmm. I'm a feeder. You know, I want to feed everybody. And I think that that really is uh, an asset for me as a manager and as a tour manager. So I guess going back to those early shows, do you remember who opened up for DRI? Would it have been Corpse Vile? Or? Oh, gosh, maybe. I cannot remember. All I remember <laughs> is DRI and the fact that I called it hockey. Everything was hockey music to me. Yeah. <laughs> Everything just sounded like hockey music. And I don't know who to blame for that, whether it's like, DOA or no means no like why I would think that even when we were on Lava Records uh, you know Sugar Ray uh, was another band on Lava Records and you can look at their early band stuff and uh, and I'm like yeah you guys uh, never really fulfilled your potential as a punk band <laughs> yeah Mean Machine all. is a good song it really is it and th stands there were other songs just like it and even harder that never made it to print or to really? pressing of course you know and I look at all those other bands Especially on the West Coast, because it was just so different, really, compared to the East Coast and the New York stuff. Mm -hmm. Like even in Toronto, I'm sure with BFG and all mm -hmm. these type of bands, it was rough. Like this is rough. Even yeah. she was talking about sick of it all and all these other rough man, rough and tumble. Whereas West Coast was different. It had that little like, you know. Eventually, it turned into the sublimey like you know. <laughs> It was like everyone was on pot, you know, like when yeah. we moved to Vancouver, it was like close enough to Humboldt County mm -hmm. and, and the whole skateboarding scene because there's no snow. Yeah. You know, that it was a different vibe. To me, I never smoked pot, but I just felt like all these bands were high all the time. Yeah. And, the, and therefore, reggae always found the way in. That funk punk, that Southern California thing came in and punk kind of morphed into that a bit. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the whole hardcore thing to me, uh, really, I always associated it with the East. Mm -hmm. But there were like other bands, like I'm trying to think of uh, Personality Crisis, I guess. Oh, right? yeah. Boy, oh, boy. Yes. <laughs> and The Unwanted. Yeah, The Unwanted. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And SNFU. Yeah. Yes. Uh, who are still touring. And in fact, Randy from Gorilla Gorilla is in SNFU now. Awesome. You know, and that that's a whole other story. You know, some of these some of these OGs. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, these are OGs of the Canadian punk scene or even the North American punk scene really. And uh and it makes me laugh now because, you know, what else is everybody gonna do? People people still skateboard. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, well into their these some of these bands are sixty years old, yeah. for God's sake. Yeah. You know, there's no retiring. No. And I think it's sad when you look at, like, you know, you look at England, and I think there's more of a reverence kind of put on the yes. the icons of underground music than here, where Absolutely. it's very much on to the new or on to the next. Yes. And, uh, yeah, you don't, you don't like, you know, SNFU, DOA, like, invented touring. Oh, yeah, and they're still, they're touring, they're still touring. in Europe. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, 
Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's incredible. What was the difference when you saw, like, I guess from Winnipeg to Vancouver, when you did, when you guys made out to Vancouver and resettled there? Well, we flipped a coin, and yeah. that's really the truth. And I think that we could have been just perfectly happy staying in Winnipeg, like bands like The Unwanted, for example, um, you know, Raised by Wolves, Pointed Sticks, all these type of bands stay in their towns. But we flipped a coin. It was either Toronto or Vancouver. Vancouver won. And again, proximity to Humboldt County. I'm sure the guys were happier. <laughs> yeah. Plus, they were all skateboarders. Yeah. So that was a whole different thing. And uh, it was, it kind of, you know, again, it morphed into the skate punk stuff. But once I got out to Vancouver and developed other friends and, and made friends in other bands, you know, then all the, like, screaming trees and this type mm -hmm. of thing started mm -hmm. happening. Uh, all the chicks from Olympia, there were lots of chick bands, and it was just like, hey, wait a minute, you know, yeah, I really like this stuff, and it's trash, and, you know, Gorilla Gorilla started to kind of unravel. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, it was just really, really cool. Very different sound uh, than the East. Mm -hmm. You know, the Pacific Northwest was really very specific. Yeah, it, like, it seems like it was a lot more... I don't want to say progressive, but like maybe it was in the music. Like it seems like there was a lot more different elements that were incorporated and stuff. I think so too. Versus out here where it was, as you're saying, like pretty, pretty stylized. And oh, here it was very like, yeah, it was like leather jackets yeah. and like Dayton's and steel toe boots out there. It started to become literally pot and flannel. <laughs> Found its way into all the hard music, which was great because in a way it kind of created a little bit of a new genre at the time. Mm -hmm. But then that kind of got, you know, like everything, got diluted mm -hmm. and kind of weird. Um, but yeah, loads of fun. Like, it was just really, really great experience. Is that who Chrome Dog would have played with? Like Screaming Trees type bands? Yes, Is that, so absolutely that's... 100%. Okay. It was so, uh, it was that uh, you know, I feel badly about Chrome Dog on so many levels because the songwriting, I feel, was really uh, a little bit ahead of its time. Yeah. James Yawk was the guitar player, and uh, and he did a fair amount of the writing. Rich Rock, who eventually played in The Real Mackenzies as well, um, he was the bass player. And it was just like, I think that those guys really were... Um, not given enough credit they were great songwriters mm -hmm. and, and i think that the band should have continued mm -hmm. you know but again things happened they things self-destruct it, it it wasn't easy we did a lot of touring though up and down the coast and so that i can that i never did with gorilla 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 was always back and forth canada and i mean like six times a year every <laughs> oh, year the with, death tour. oh yeah and uh and with uh, chrome dog it literally was San Diego and back, San Diego and back. Yeah. It was amazing. So when, when Gorilla Gorilla was doing the Cross Canada th runs, who were you playing with in Toronto? Was it with the BFGs and bands like that? Or? I think that we may have. There was like, you know, Forgotten Rebels yeah. and stuff. But yeah. we would also do shows with Mighty Mighty Boss Tones mm -hmm. and, and things like that seemed to work out. Uh, we played with Bad Religion, but so did Chrome Dog. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it, it just kind of started to become, uh, you know, the... Once uh, you're looking at like 92, 93 came along, yeah, music became very malleable stylistically and mm. lots of different uh, bands. And also, we're talking about the birth of events like Lollapalooza. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, in North America, that was like very eclectic. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't starting to become not unheard of to have different, a real different type of bill. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Mm. So it's amazing with Gorilla Gorilla how every single member went on to do something else in the music industry. For amazing. It's crazy. Oh yeah, Limo is uh, like amazing. He has still tours, and the, those guys are responsible. Um, you know, for for half of the bands in California, I swear yeah. to God. You know, with Pennywise and Kent. Uh, you know, still works with No Effect. Yep. And it's just like it's incredible. Even Randy, like at, for like five minutes. I can't remember how it came to be, but for like five minutes, he was like the manager of Green Day. Green Day, right? We're like yeah. at, the, at the, like a really pivotal time. Yeah, even. it was just nuts. <laughs> like it was nutty. And uh, and then of course, you know. And yourself. And I just kept in my lane, like I always yeah. do, doing my solo stuff and, and and trying to slug it out as a chick. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. know, so that was a, a bit of a different different path for sure. Definitely. Yeah, it's just that, uh, and I'm just fiercely proud of all those guys because it's it's fun to keep up with them and catch up with what they're doing now well yeah it's wild to think of like any other band in you know music history where every single member from like a demo tape kind of thing That's went all on we to, had. yeah went mm -hmm. on to become actual involved in the music industry as careers yeah you know? so fun and limo i owe to this day because he got me into the van's warp tour one time amazing yeah when i was like 14 years old and so yes. i still see him around. i'm not surprised yeah and That's i still who, think that him. is who he is yes <laughs> he is generous. definitely cool generous very very cool mm -hmm. and it's it's so what was the difference between the scene that gorilla gorilla was playing in versus what chrome dog would wind up playing in well you know i think that like the gorilla gorilla fellas were um you know most of their friends were skaters mm -hmm. uh and in other bands and then chrome dog those guys were like rocker guys, you know? It was a totally different thing. And they were like, you know, hooked up with the L.A. guitar scene. Mm -hmm. And it was just like totally two separate scenes altogether. Mm -hmm. and, and eventually, you know, I think, I mean, I was probably like, whatever, 21 or 22. Very dramatic, very <laughs> dramatic times. And, uh, you know, couldn't... It was like having two boyfriends, yeah. basically. And, and it just kind of didn't work out anymore. And so that was hard. And I remember with uh, Gorilla Gorilla, the last tour we did, I'll never forget it, you know, it was like the last nail in the coffin. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it was devastating. It's like breaking up with, you know, three boyfriends. And, and it's something that stays with you. But, I mean, everyone was done with it. And those guys needed also to move forward, mm -hmm. you know, because... There's only so much that that band could have done unless we had relocated to another city, probably an American city. Now I look at different times and I look at places like Chicago, for example, you know, the birth of Victory Records mm -hmm. and still a success story. Mm -hmm. All the bands that, that came out of that label and still continue to be, you know, promoted and, and given life by, by that label. E each city has its own little... Champions. Absolutely, yeah, it's so cool. Well, I think like you would have been seeing all of it. Kind of, I think pre Nirvana mm -hmm. and pre Green Day and pre Offspring, things changed after those bands. But like prior to that, like yeah, everything had such probably unique flavor to it. Like every, it was just very interesting. Yeah. And again, you know, I, again, I have to you know look to the East Coast and the bands that were coming out of there, like twenty four seven spies. Mm -hmm. You know. Guar was out of uh, Richmond, Virginia. Yeah, yeah. They're theater majors, these kids. <laughs> I mean, it was amazing. Perhaps, you know, there's, uh, you know, young people today who are like, who could tell me about all the same types of uh, 
enthusiastic, passionate scenes in all these cities. Uh, but all I can speak to is my lived experience. Mm -hmm. and, and I just think that, you know, all those bands at the time were doing things that no one had done before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I guess it would also, you'd have a chance to develop. Absolutely. Like now it just seems like once you get to a certain stage, the world's going to be noticing what you're doing. It's so different now. It's so funny. I mean, I remember Jello Biafra from Alternative Tentacles uh, sent me a rejection letter. Really? Yeah, and it was to the, I, I, I think it was to, was it to the Biff Nakeds? Or I think it was to the Biff Nakeds. Uh, and I framed it on my wall. I'll take a picture. Oh, do I have it at home? Yeah, I do. Oh, and I'll take a picture awesome. and send it to you. I'd love to see that. And, uh, and it was like, keep doing what you're doing. And maybe, you know, someday you can put out a seven inch or it was it was just like so profoundly sweet and mm. encouraging and i was i didn't even care that alternative tentacles wasn't gonna you know listen to my demo anymore i could not believe my luck yeah that jello biafra himself took the time to write me a letter i was overjoyed yeah. i mean elated <laughs> i 100 elated and uh, and framed it you know with a professional pair it's on my wall that's amazing it's like the most thrilling thing but that's a perfect example again west coast san francisco alternative tentacles were doing stuff that no one else was doing well it's it's funny because well it's not funny but you did you know you stuck with it and you didn't just release a seven inch you like changed the canadian music industry god bless right? you like you god gave bless. You, you know you gave people like my wife's testament to that like a whole generation of women now had someone to look up to amazing yeah. that's amazing to me because now i think and at the time i looked up to all these guys we're talking about yeah exactly like chai pig and all these sorts my of hero people, but like you still you yeah. provided another way for women to look amazing too. that's incredible to me because i just look you know because i still think i'm 24 because mm -hmm. that that doesn't change and mm -hmm. i remember turning 30 and saying to my mother on the phone i feel exactly like i'm 26 mom <laughs> And she said, imagine being my age. Because that never changes. You no. always feel that way. No, yeah, you don't, you don't age. Thought, That's horrifying, actually. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's, it's fun. Life is too fun not to live it. Yeah. And, and same with music and same with touring and bands. I never get sick of it. I never tire of it. I, I used to think, well, you know, I want to do something else. But honestly, I just have way too much fun playing shows. Yeah. And it's... And it's you know, it's, it's still impactful, and it's amazing the career you've had, right? Like, I remember, how did Gorilla Gorilla get a video? Because you had just a tape, right? Did you just shoot, like, a video I think that someone probably, yeah, I can't really remember. I think someone shot it or put it together, like, after the fact. Like Okay. Yeah. Was it after the fact, or was it during the band? Was it... I think we were still the footage okay. was always when we were a band. But okay. Yeah, I can't. Uh, I can't actually remember. Okay, so you were like, because it was so wild to get national airplay as like just like submitting a video amazing you're know, like that wouldn't happen now like i can't imagine oh, now like, you can't even get a, an artist on the radio yeah. and also radio is a perfect example i mean you know i hope you i hope you get syndicated on radio we're on uh like iheart radio things like fantastic. that like all those sorts fantastic. of you know streaming services but once again right. I'm, I'm like i'm providing something for free so of course right. they're going to take it right. you know i'm sure if Absolutely. i was asking for money it might be a different conversation well it's just you know now it's very very difficult to get an un unknown yeah. artist on the radio oh, so absolutely. they have to rely on spotify and soundcloud and bandcamp and all these things and you know it's so uh, saturated mm -hmm. it would be very very difficult to get uh, any artist but you look at these big pop bands and they feature vocalists all the time and that's how a lot of these 
you know, vocalists can break out and stuff. But yeah, it's very daunting. It would be very daunting now. It's funny when you look at some artists and you're like, oh, I've never heard of this person. Then you're like, 17 billion plays. That's like, right. It's like, wow, this is, and it's, it's something that's completely ignored by the mainstream. Yes. And here's someone that's found the way to break through and just get to that audience and build that audience themselves. And it's yeah. like, that side is that punk rock thing kind of like made real where like, you know, a band just making a tape yeah. touring six times across Canada for some reason. Yeah. It, it's now you could break through and get to that audience and find that audience oh, without definitely. having to do that. But now gas is cost so much cost money. Cost way more. So yeah. you know, so it's like, how do you get the band from say they get sitting at a community center show in Brandon and they can play Winnipeg? Yeah, you could probably try and get them to Thunder Bay, but to get them from Thunder Bay to Toronto is like daunting. Oh, it's daunting. Yeah. You know, so can you put them through the states and play every little? You know, small high school gym. No, they probably won't get accepted into the states to begin with, if, yep. because of the cannabis laws in Canada. Yeah, Yo, you need the visas. Yeah, it, it's so hard now, and and I get asked for advice all the time uh, from young bands, and I only say two words: never quit. Mm -hmm. That's how you're gonna make it. Never stop doing what you're doing, no mm -hmm. matter what. Don't care. Go get jobs. Go to university. In between, doesn't matter. Just never stop. You know, eventually, you just gotta like you gotta believe that eventually you're gonna find your audience, and it's gonna be just like awesome. Mm -hmm. It's gonna be awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And carve your own lane. Yes. Right? Like I think that's the thing that you did too. Like I think it's just don't try and be anyone else. Be yourself, and yes. you'll find your audience. Yes. And don't worry about what everyone else is doing. That's yeah. the whole thing. Stay in your lane. You know, someone's doing that. They're in their lane. It's cool. Let them do it. You know, that's great. That's fantastic. It has nothing to do with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's, I think people get caught up in that a lot. And, and they become, uh, they feel defeated. It's easy in this world for for young artists to feel defeated out of the gate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember reading in a Vice piece uh, about you from like a few years back that you you practiced with a Screeching Weasel song or recorded a Screeching oh my God, Weasel song. That's one of my favorite bands. Really? Oh yeah. I so wanted to talk to you about They had this song that goes, uh, you love alcohol, don't want to know from nothing else, can't have a good time without a personality from a bottle, leave me alone. <laughs> don't want to hear your voice. Oh yeah. Just like like it was yesterday. That's but, awesome. Yeah, I've great had, song. I've had almost every single member on the show now. Come on. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so that, Amazing. That is too funny. That is wild. Gorilla Gorilla did it, a Screeching Weasel oh. song. I think of so many songs that would be so great to cover all the time. Just, you know, because w when you're a musician, you're fans of everybody else, too. Yeah. We used to do a Macedon cover. Really? Uh, from the Leviathan album, Blood and Thunder, <laughs> where it would be a, a medley in between. This is on my solo project, and this was, like, I don't know how many back-to-back -back tours of America we were on, so it was, like, you know, right at that, by that point, it's, like, jail. Yeah. You know, society yes. is, like, jail. <laughs> yeah. There's no rules. It's just, like, it's anarchy. Let's survive. Yeah, and it's, everything's funny. Yeah. You know, this is past way past bus fever bus yeah. fever happened the tears the fighting that's done now it's just like nuts now yeah. it's just like french fries every day just nuts <laughs> and we used to stop in the middle of the set and scott cook was the bass player and they would put his five string fretless bass on me not plugging in of course <laughs> trust me you don't ever want it plugged in and we would do this medley that included 
Blood and Thunder by Leviathan. <laughs> That's awesome. And it was just like, and I would like air guitar the bass part, and it was, but also there would also be bass playing. Yeah, yeah. But it was like, I mean, it was stupid. It was so much fun. You should do an all punk metal covers record. From your mouth to God's ears. That would be amazing. I think it would be a lot of fun. Oh, it would be amazing. I also to hear you think do that. all the time in Canada needs a super group. Yeah. Of like cool people. Yeah. You know, of our generation, super <laughs> group, and do a big tour. <laughs> that would be awesome. That yeah. is awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, as I say, like, I've kept you for a while now, but um, I still, is there a couple more questions? That sure. Cool? Okay, because, uh, like, I don't want to keep you all day. That's okay. Um, but I was wondering, like, when uh, w when that first tour happened across Canada, what was that like, touring at that point? Like, what were the shows, like, you are playing with? Who were the bands? Did you ever go out with any other bands? We did, and the first tour I ever did in Canada was Why I Quit University, much to my parents' chagrin. Uh, and we were offered a tour with the Wongs. Okay, So Chai yeah. Pig did the Wongs on one of his SNFU hiatuses. And uh, basically, you know, I used to say I learned everything that I ever needed to know about being a front man, because I was a female front man. That's mm -hmm. how I identified at the time. Uh, I wasn't a chick singer. I was a female front man. Um, everything I ever wanted to know or do or learn was from Chai Pig yeah. in uh, 1980. 90 was this tour and it was across canada and uh it was great fantastic all the same rooms that anyone would play now yeah you know crocs and rolls in thunder bay you know back then i think it was still for fun electrique i mean just like i think at the time it was barrymore's <laughs> in ottawa like i mean it was just insanity yeah these fantastic shows i had to learn to sing with no monitors you know i never asked the sound man or uh, monitor person ever to turn me up uh, because a I was a girl so I didn't want to talk very much mm. you know I didn't want to be misinterpreted and literally my feeling as a 19 year old performer was if I talk to the monitor man he's gonna think I'm hitting on him or I don't want him to think that I'm trying mm. to talk to him as an excuse to talk like literally I was like yeah I'm not gonna say anything so Learn to sing from the mains, mm -hmm. which I still do. I still can't wear in-ears. Wow. Because it's, it's just awkward. It's weird. Yeah. I learned how to sing from the mains. And most of these like, you know, shit little clubs, half of the monitors were blown. Yeah. Plus, I played with a lot of guitar players who really only wanted to hear very loud guitar mm -hmm. and no vocal on mm -hmm. the stage. And so I had to learn to try and hear myself over all this wall of guitars all the time. And, and I now, as, a, as an adult, even though I was 19, now as an adult, I look back at that first tour, and I feel like all of those lessons I learned, I still have and carry with me uh, as a vocalist. Chai Pei used to drink this, uh, 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 I don't know, this uh, Ninjom cough syrup. Uh, don't get me wrong, kids. There was no <laughs> drugs in this or codeine or anything. Okay, but yeah. Because for singers' throats. For a codeine And, and also throat. like slippery elm bark tea mm -hmm. and stuff like that. I never would have known that. Sure, nowadays, any you know any young singer can probably Google, Google it. it. Yeah. But at the time, you know, it was really... He, you know, he's not necessarily... Um, he's not known to be a warm and friendly uh, person all of the time. Certainly not for a young female singer like myself. And I felt very uh very special to be kind of learning these lessons from him you know he was basically he was my buddha mm -hmm. like you know and i was the student and i still hold him in that high regard and i still 
think of those lessons that I learned. I carried them with me. Well, and he's one of the greatest front people of all time. It's insanity to me, yeah. you know, how how amazing he is. Yeah, like, and it's, yeah. I got to see him a few years after that, but even, you know, like, and to this day, like, he's still yeah. one of the, the great front people of all time. Absolutely. So, yeah, like, if you're going to university for learning how to be a front person, I guess there's few greater professors to have like yeah he was a great he was just fantastic and my first tour of europe we toured with life of agony really as my first tour so it was 10 weeks opening for life of agony is this with biff naked oh yeah and believe me the life of agony at the time was on river runs red yeah. on roadrunner records the audience did not want to hear daddy's getting married i assure you <laughs> 100 percent they did not they were really not concerned yeah. that my daddy was getting married no. so having beer steins thrown at my head having you know uh the Oof. promoters uh deemed that the catering room was going to be for the headliner and that we had to like stay outside uh until our set time and then go back outside literally for some of these shows and i remember thinking at that time because it sucked yeah and I remember thinking, I'm learning from this. I'm never going to forget these. And it's not like that I'm going to hold it and be resentful. I'm going to learn how to be able to still be positive, still be polite to the headliner, because mm -hmm. that's the whole point, and to still go and have the best show I can have, even if I have to dodge beer bottles, which I did a lot. And, uh, and it was, you know, I still look back at it and go, all I can remember in Zurich was the beer bottles being thrown at us, and the chocolates were so good. That's, like, I literally think the snacks were so good. The positive. Unbelievable, you know? The promoter's mother uh, in every town used to, used to make the food. The only, the only funny part was I was probably always the only vegan. Yeah. Uh, and I never really, really cared what anybody else did or ate because, again, I was in my lane. That's all I had to worry about. But I assure you, it was boiled meat and beer and dumplings most of the time if they were lucky and i literally just got used to not ever eating anything so i was anorexic for probably i'm gonna guess about 20 years because i just learned to just scrape by and not worry about it and again i didn't want to go out of my way to say anything mm -hmm. um and so like now i look at it and go i'm still the same way but now i know to bring my own popcorn maker yeah you know like stupid yeah. stuff but all those early early tours i learned so much from and life of agony is still one of my favorite bands so you you were straight edge and vegan your whole life no or? way jose i no. was a first chrome dog tour i would lose my voice every show yeah because when i had a tablespoon of beer I started talking and talking and talking and talking and laughing and scream laughing. And so I just was, I knew that I had to come to a decision where I could either really take it seriously and not drink any alcohol. Plus, I didn't want to wake up with anybody. Mm -hmm. And that was always the, my fear. You know, if that happens to you as a teenager, you know, you, you try and mitigate that happening again. And just, again, it was about being a professional and not being misinterpreted. So I just thought, I can't drink. Chai Pig, at the time, was kind of straight edge, kind of. Oh, yes. really? Oh, yes, when I first toured wow, with him. Wow, okay. Yeah, and he told me all about that. And he introduced me to Gail Greenwood, who was from Belly and Boneyard before Belly. And at the time was just getting into L7. Yeah. And Gail had been straight edge her whole life. And so she and I became pen pals. And then 
you know, we became friends over the years. Eventually, I dragged her into my band for a couple tours mm -hmm. and whatnot. But she was definitely um, my, you know, greatest mentor in straight edge life. I just, you know, I just was never really good at alcohol. It just, I would lose my voice, literally. And so I was like, yeah, I can't really do it. Or wake up in, like, married or in jail or <laughs> yeah. in Italy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 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 No reason to go near it then. It just wasn't for me. And I never smoked pot anyway because I fell asleep. So I never understood pot. I just fell asleep. So, yeah, straight edge was really kind of simple. For me, it was a no-brainer because it was just all about work. But, you know, wherever we went, then there was the whole straight edge scene in punk that was totally militant, different thing. Yeah. And when we would play in the States, it was different. The rules were different in every state. And, uh, you know, there were straight edgers that said, you can't be in a band with other people who smoke cigarettes or drink alcohol if you're straight edge. I'm like... <laughs> That's a pretty militant rule. Oh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> See ya. Because it just didn't work in my world. Yeah. I was the only, you know, person who didn't... But why should I tell my band they can't get all the beer possible? Mm -hmm. You know, so that they still enjoy life and do what they like to do. Um, anyway, it was it was great fun. What about being vegan? Because you would have been, you know, have you been vegan for... Uh, I was a vegetarian for a long time, but I never really ate cheese anyway. Because yeah. I'm sorry... I'm sorry, cheese world. It's constipating, in case you hadn't noticed. <laughs> so I was like, you know, I could, I didn't want to be constipated. Yeah, yeah. Literally, that was part of my thing. Uh, I wouldn't eat anything that would bother my stomach. And that's kind of how it evolved. And then just as my own maturity happened, becoming an adult, becoming an activist, understanding more about the connection with factory farming and whatnot, it was easy to be a vegan. Mm -hmm. I mean, and now I just look at people and I go, wow, it's so easy for you. Yeah, but those first tours of Europe, it's not like now, right? Well, like, no, first it... tours of Europe, you're lucky to find an apple. Yeah, like yeah. It, it definitely, there's vegan options in most restaurants now or, you know. I always ate in Italian restaurants because yep. I could always get a salad and, and Slada Verde, you're done. Yeah. Or I could get plain noodles with nothing on it and, uh, you know, or you could get white rice in a Chinese restaurant anywhere in the world and i'd be happy mm -hmm. like literally you know worst case scenario i can eat rice and i can eat plain pasta mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. done so on the early biff naked tours where like you're on tour with life of agony like where did they were you, were they trying to put you towards a metal world like because once again we, you carve your own it's lane ultimately so, it's so funny it was so weird i i had to cr create my own record label because in canada the company that made my first record folded and the company that distributed them, A&M, didn't want to pick up Biff Naked for A&M. They're like, yeah, this girl will never get on the radio. Who was, like, on your first who was your first label? Uh, so Her Royal Majesty's Records oh, yeah. was a company I formed with my manager, okay. Peter. And in the States, John Zazula was my manager with Marsha Zazula. And so what we did was we licensed it mm -hmm. to whoever would have it. And in uh, Germany, on my first record, Adel Records licensed <laughs> it. They were a dance label. And they brought me over to Germany and threw me on because Adol and Roadrunner were like, you know, Involved. fine fine brothers. Yeah. And so they, they put me on that tour. <laughs> and it was just like, it was amazing. You know, it was just amazing. We were very, very fortunate. Uh, our team from Adol moved over to Epic. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then, you know, we, did, we toured with a lot of German artists in Germany. That was our base. And then the UK and... I mean, doing Rock'em Park and, and some of these m amazing festivals was 
Man, that was fun. Good <laughs> snacks. Good snacks there, boy. Wow. Yeah, a lot different than uh, the uh, North American touring experience. So different. So you know, different. Yeah. Really different. Yeah. But loads of fun. Yeah, definitely. So much fun. This has been amazing. Aww. Would you come back for a part two at some point? I would love to. This has been a lot of fun. I would love to. And uh, anytime you want to talk about punk rock or hardcore, we didn't even talk about awesome. Beyond Possession. Oh my God, we need to talk about Beyond Possession. And we also need to start talking, we need to talk about Krishna Kaur. Oh, and where yeah. those guys are right now, because I those guys are all my mentors in yoga. Oh, okay. Well, well Youth of Today is on a West Coast tour this weekend. Oh, yes. And stuff. So oh, we, yeah. We'll... It's crazy. <laughs> it's amazing. Like, honestly, they're just like, now they're... I feel like those bands are more popular than ever. I think so. I yeah. think there's definitely, and it's like, it's once again like, like well, like Gorilla Gorilla. It's amazing how these bands that, you know, at the time played to small rooms ended up influencing stadiums full of people. That's exactly know? right. And I mean, it's amazing. Just like, look at how many people know, for example, Waiting Room. Yeah. By Fugazi. Everyone in the entire universe knows this song. Yeah. They might not know the politics. They might not know, the, you know, how Fugazi got in there. But they know the song. You just hear it. You just kind of know it even everybody your first time know, hearing it. Everybody sings it. <laughs> Were, did you go to that Chromag show when they played Winnipeg? No. Okay. Because it was an infamous bootleg of that show. No, I was not there. Okay. No, but I know the bootleg. And it's a very, uh, I think I have it in one of these stacks here. Amazing. But Biff, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Biff, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Biff will be back for a part two. It was super awesome. That was wicked. Biff came over, and of course, her, her husband and, and guitar player and bandmate Snake came over, and we hung out, and we, we talked music, talked wrestling, and it was, oh, Biff Naked. How sick is that? A legit Canadian icon. And Biff has brand new music coming out, Hotbox Girls, and another single, and a new album dropping in the near future. So, yeah, as I say, legit Canadian music icon. If you want a great book to read, her uh, autobiography is incredible. It details this epic journey throughout music that she undertook. Also, her battle with cancer and 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 just so much. It's it's such a it's an inspiring book. It's like a truly inspiring book. You heard her. You heard her talk on this thing. Like, how could you not want to spend more time with Biff? Biff is ah. Oh, I love this. I love doing this podcast for stuff like that. Uh, okay, now. We got to keep it going, right? Next week on the show, we're gonna we're gonna roll on into another one that I'm I'm super stoked for you to hear. Alex Ross Perry is on the show. Uh, Alex Ross Perry is, of course, the director of The Smell of Her and also uh, other movies as well. Uh, someone who grew up in punk rock, but also someone that worked at a video store, not just any video store, the legendary Kim's Video in New York. And, uh, oh, I'm stoked for you to hear this one next week on the show. Until then, or next episode on the show, because, you know, this thing comes out at all weird times. So next episode of the show, which will be coming real soon. Um, but until then, go out there, sign your organ donor cards, create your own culture, and stay safe. And I will see you next week. Thank you for listening. Biff Naked on the show. How sick was that? 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.